Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. You're sitting in this doctor's office, um, you know, sterile wall, sterile floor. They, they take Tyler out of their room because they wanted to talk to us first. So they sit there and they tell you that your son has Friedrich's ataxia muscular dystrophy, that his body's basically eating itself within, uh, his nerves are dying, which is gonna kill off his muscles. And the whole time you're just sitting there listening to everything that they're saying, but you're not hearing everything because you, I guess you just kind of go into shock. You just don't know what to do. My name is Deanna Parson. I'm Patrick Parson. And we've been attending Emmanuel for five years. Our family is uh, a little bit unique. Um, Dee and I have been married for almost 22 years. We have four boys from their age of 26 to 16. And then Lucy's eight. Um, our daughter. Seven. Or seven. She will be eight. <laughs> <laughs> seven. So Tyler's now 26, and he's completely wheelchair dependent. Um, he has uh, an automatic wheelchair. To get him around to places, our van is not your typical family van. It's actually a converted wheelchair van. So the van is a very vital part of our family, especially Tyler, who, who needs a special type of mode of transportation. On January 1st of this year, we went to bed and approximately at 5.30 the next morning, Patrick decides he comes in and says that our van has been stolen. So three days have passed, and we finally got a phone call from the police department that they found the van. And uh, when we got there, we realized the condition of the van. Um, they totaled the van out. So I think on that second day is when the anger really began to set in because we realized that this changed our life. So when this happened, and then you start looking at the cost of it, it's devastational. Insurance gave us their decision, and they had just decided to pay for what just the van would cost, not for the conversion part of the van. When you look at converting a van, it can be upwards to thirty to $40,000 to make it usable for any handicapped child. So when Tyler was first diagnosed, um, the one thing that, that we prayed was that we would never lose our faith. So even though, you know, the, the van was stolen, we knew that God was going to do something. You know, it was one of those moments, okay, God, now's the time to show us what you're doing. God has been faithful, and from the beginning of our story, He has been faithful. And I didn't want to lose my faith about it, but I was very nervous of how God was going to show up and how He was going to do this because the mountain seemed astronomical to us. But that's when things started to, to turn around. God put all the pieces together, not only financially, but in who He placed in our path. The church, uh, came along the side of us and some of the other different organizations in the community as well uh, said they wanted to help us. God's people stepped up by selling stuff and running fundraisers for us. It was amazing just to stand back and watch people do that for us. 
Some people, we don't even know who they are. We will never meet them. But they're part of our family now just because they were willing to give and to love us at our most time of need. God knew that we needed a van, and because of your generosity, the need was able to be met. And there is many more people out there who have needs that we are unaware of. But God knows their needs, and so when we give of our time, when we give of our money, when we give of our hearts and our willingness to serve, then God takes it and He multiplies it, and then He fills the needs for those who have the need. Don't you love being part of a church that blesses people? Amen? Amen? Welcome to Emmanuel. My name is Danny, and uh, we want to welcome everyone at all of our campuses right now, whether you're joining us at Banta or Franklin, Garfield Park, or our online campus, or here at Greenwood. Welcome to everyone. If you're joining us at the Theodora House or the Johnson County Work Release, we welcome you as well. Uh, we're starting a brand new series today called Greater Things. I want to talk to you over the next three weeks about increasing the level of our generosity as a church. Now, I know that when pastors talk about giving or they talk about money, things can get pretty awkward inside of a church. I know that. In fact, recently we hired a, a consultant that was going to come in and be a secret shopper and kind of go to all of our different campuses and take notes and then give us a report. And this, uh, this particular gentleman was on staff at Grace, which is a large church on the north side of Indianapolis and uh, had been around church for many, many, many years. And so now he's a consultant. So we hired him and he did, the, he did it. He went around the circuit and looked at all of our stuff. And when we started to talk about um, discussions about money in the church. Here's what he said. He said, you know, being on staff at Grace was interesting because every time our pastor would do a series on money or giving, the other church, the other large church in the north side, which I think it was called, um, I can't, Northview, um, would have a surge in attendance. <laughs> and then Northview would do a series on giving and money and, and we would, and Grace, you know, we, we would have a surge in attendance. And so uh, if you're not here next week, uh, I know where you are. You're at Mount Pleasant and, uh, you know, <laughs> people get funny when you talk about money in church. Greater Things, that's the name of this series, Increasing the Level of Generosity. Back in 2006, uh, our church went through a transition. Our founding pastor, Pastor Jim Devaney, transitioned out and I took over for him. I was 28 years old. How many of you were here for that transition? Yeah. Okay, good, good amount of you. Not, a lot of us weren't. That was not a particularly uh, great time at Emmanuel Church. It was a very difficult transition. Our church shrank. We basically fell, uh, were cut in half um, in the size of our congregation. Our budget was cut even more than that. And uh, it was the first time in my life that I had ever really led something that was failing. Most of my life, whether it was sports or school or whatever, I succeeded. And now I take over as a pastor of a church, and, and I'm, I like to say I, I successfully led the church downward. And we, I didn't know where the bottom was, you know, and I thought it was going to get lower and lower and lower. And so I had to really do some soul searching in my heart and figure out, you know, did God call me to do this? Am I just not a good pastor? Like, what, what's the situation? Everything I do keeps failing, and, you know, more families leave the church, and so on and so forth. And so I did some real deep digging with our leadership team and our elders, and for me it was all about what's the purpose, like, if I can get clear on the purpose, if the, if the purpose is motivating, then and I can get through anything. 
And what we did during that time, 2006, 2007, is we came up with this statement. You've heard it before. You can probably quote it. I'll quote it to you. We exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. That statement was formed during that time. It's a paraphrase of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. Now, we thought about making that our statement, but it was kind of wordy. <laughs> so we took Jesus' statement and we condensed it down into something we could say. It was memorable, it was repeatable, it was portable. We exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. And because I believe this mission is worth giving my life to, we were able to push through that difficult time and, and challenge you to bring your friends. We wanted to be a church that's on a relentless pursuit of people who are far from God. We don't want transfer membership. We don't want people from other churches. We want to reach people who've said no to God. They said no to church. They think church is irrelevant. They think they want nothing to do with God. We want to reach them. We want to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. And so sure enough, you started bringing your friends. And that this service right here, the 11 o'clock service, which back then was 11.15. You remember that? 11.15. It started to fill up. I mean, it was like 85% full, 90% full. And we thought, wow, it's working. What are we going to do? Well, we launched Saturday night services, and we asked 500 of you to, chat, to shift to Saturday night. And you did it. Guess what? 11.15 filled back up. So we said, what are we going to do now? And so we're like, oh, my gosh, let's do this. Let's do a multi-site. So in 2013, we launched our first multi-site campus, the Banta Campus. Can we get up a Banta? <laughs> looking at you right now. And we said to 500 people who were attending the Greenwood campus, like, get out of here and go reach your friends in the Perry Meridian area. And you did it. And then guess what? 11.15, filled back up, right? Because we exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. So then we're like, oh, what do we do now? So we said, well, let's figure out where people are driving from and, and let's, let's, let's launch a campus in their neighborhood and, and so that they can see their friends come to Christ and grow in Christ. So in 2015, we launched the Franklin campus and they got their building in 2017 and that's what that looks like. Looking at you, Franklin. So exciting to be with you today. And then guess what happened again? You know, 11.15, what did happen? It filled back up. And so we're like, what? Because you guys are reaching your friends and you're asking them to come to church and so they can hear the gospel and be saved. And, and so then we went and we did the online campus and we got like 500 people right now tuning in on our online campus. And, and that's awesome. And, and 11.15 filled back up. And so 2018, Christmas, we had another church approach us and they said, hey, would you consider making us one of your multi-sites? We're like, absolutely. Why would we say yes? Because we exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. So right now, Garfield Park, we just launched them this year. So we're looking at you, Garfield. That's right. They're in the middle of a remodel. They had their four-year remodel. Their sanctuary is being remodeled and, and they're going to launch officially this December. And, and so we're, we're just, and I'm amazed to see what's going on in our church, that God is, is using our church to bless people all over the place, all over the world. I looked back in 2009, and this is as far back as we started counting, but from 2009 till today, we have had 5,170 decisions for Jesus Christ. Is that not amazing? Those are Bibles handed out. We give everybody a Bible. Of those folks since 2009, we've baptized 1,473 of them. Isn't that awesome? All glory to God. And so then I look back and I said, well, what was our attendance back when we were like, oh, scraping the bottom, you know, the plane was crashing and we didn't count past 2007. But in 2007, our average weekly attendance was 1,107. Today in 2019, 12 years later, our attendance is 5,139. Is that not incredible? I mean, if you can't get excited about that, I don't know what else you're going to get excited about. 
in 2017 Outreach Magazine, which is a magazine for pastors and ministry people. They do, they do this Outreach 100, and, and some of you know this. But in 2017, we were one of the fastest growing, top 100 fastest growing churches in America. We were number 68. In 2019, they came out with their, their magazine. This was just released. We are in the top 100 largest churches in America. We came in at number 98. So, so we got a little work to do. All glory to God. Now, some of you are like, well, I mean, oh, so what? you're building buildings and you're on a list. Who cares, you know? It's not just about buildings and getting on a list. We are, every time we plant a campus, we are able to bless that community. Whether that's khakis for kids. Remember that project we did? Whether that's teacher boxes, you know, in our communities to all of our teachers in our schools. Every single winter, we, we get, we, we're getting ready to do it again. Our students are doing it. We pack boxes so, so kids can eat over Christmas break. Kids that otherwise wouldn't be able to eat because they rely on school for, for lunch. Well, I can go on and on. We, 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 we're blessing a community every time we put a campus in that community. I didn't even mention Impact Week. Impact Week, we partnered with 68 different organizations over a seven-day period. Many of you gave, many of you served, and we blessed the socks off of our community. This is not just about building buildings. This is making a difference. This is about making a difference in people's lives. This is about blessing people. Is anybody excited about being, a, uh, being part of a church like that? And I didn't even mention Nicaragua. I didn't even mention Haiti. I didn't even mention Africa and all the things that we're doing in Colombia. Every single year, we send thousands and thousands of dollars there to build orphanages and feed children. Many of you actually go on trips. We just had a group of people come back from Nicaragua. And on and on and on, our church is being a blessing. And here's, here's the amazing thing. As I did a little research and checked with our accountant here at the church, I said, just tell me, you know, what's the percentage of people at Emmanuel? Families. Families, not individuals, but families. Now, if you're single, you count as a family. What's the percentage of families that have said, you know what, I'll jump in financially to help? And here's what we found. Everything I just described to you over the last 12 years has been done on 21% of our potential. 21%. That means that 79% of our families have said, I'll come to church, I'll listen to the songs, I'll be blessed by the sermons, I might even join a small group, I might even jump in and be on the greeting team, but when it comes to the money part, count me out. And so you can't say, man, I'm part of what's going on in Nicaragua, or I'm part of what helping that family with their van and converting their van so their son could have a, a place, a, you know, an automobile he can drive in. You can't say that. You can't say that I was part of launching the Franklin campus or I was part of launching the Banta campus or I was part of getting in the Johnson County work release so they can watch and the prisoners can watch. You can't say that because you've decided to sit it out. We've done all of that on 21% of our potential. What does that mean? Here's what it means. We can do so much more. We have so much more potential as a church. I'm an athlete and, and I, I, at least in my head, I'm still an athlete. <laughs> Growing up, I was an athlete. I was on a baseball teams, basketball teams my whole life. My brothers were athletes. They played Division I sports, on and on. Our whole family was a sports family. When our, when our team, especially my high school coach, when our team was functioning on less than our potential, and it was obvious that we weren't hustling, we weren't rebounding, weren't playing defense, weren't sliding our feet, we weren't doing what we needed to do, we were being selfish, we weren't passing. At halftime... Our coach would chew us out. Anybody else have a coach like this? One time he got so mad at us, he picked up the garbage can and he threw it across the locker room. He was like, that got our attention. Now, I'm not going to throw it any, anything at you today. I mean, 
but can I coach you a little bit? Like if we were a sports team and it's halftime, can I, can I coach? Will you give me the permission to coach you guys? Like is this acceptable to any of you? The 21% are like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm, I'm already doing my part. Okay, but is this as a team, as a team, is this acceptable? Can I coach you a little bit, yes or no? Thank you. I just, want to, I just want to come alongside of you. I don't want to throw anything at you. I just want to coach you. Here's why. Because we can be doing so much more as a church. So, let me, if you're taking notes, let me dive in here. You were created to be a giver. I hope you receive that. You were created. God has created you to be a giver. It's in your DNA. You say, huh? what are you talking about? Well, as Christ followers, if you're a believer today, you serve a God who's the most generous being in the universe. Listen to John 3.16. This is right out of the mouth of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he, say it with me, he gave. He gave his, not his leftovers, not what was, in, not what was left at the end of the month, but he gave his very best. For God so loved the world that he gave. When you love something, you give to it. Please don't, please hear my heart. When you love something, you give to it. For God so loved you, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes and trusts in him will not perish, not spend eternity apart from me, but will have everlasting life, eternal life. You serve the most generous being in the universe. God spared nothing to make sure that you could be in a relationship with him. He gave his son. The problem is, even though we're created to be givers, it doesn't come natural. Giving is not something that comes natural to us. It should, but it doesn't. <laughs> if giving was natural, then the author of Hebrews wouldn't have had to say this in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Why do we need to be motivated? Because we're not. <laughs> we're not. We gotta, we gotta whiteboard this deal. We gotta get together as a group and say, okay, what are we gonna do to motivate ourselves to think of others, to bless others, to do good works, to be generous? Like, like if it came naturally, we wouldn't have to do that. If, if giving were natural, Paul's words to Timothy wouldn't have been necessary. Listen to what he said. Command those who are rich in this present world. Now, let me pause here real quick because the word rich might be a little bit confusing when we think of rich people in America, we think of the millionaires and the multimillionaires and the, no, 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 no. This is worldwide. This, is, this scripture is read throughout the entire world. If you make $45,000 or more, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. We gotta change what we think about when we, when we think about who is rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Sometimes your money just grows wings. Don't hope in money, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Then he says this, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be, say it with me, generous and willing to share. If giving came naturally, why would, why would we have to be commanded to do this? Here's why, because it's natural not to give. It's natural to say, I'm gonna keep it, I'm gonna hoard it, it's mine. 79% of our families sit the offering out. That's what's natural. We have to be taught to give. So I'm gonna coach you a little bit on that. Why is it difficult to give? Why is it so hard? just to let go of resources. There's four reasons in your notes. Number one, we're selfish. 
We're selfish. I mean, come on, let's just be honest. We're selfish people. We're born into this world selfish. Anybody uh, raising kids? Children? Grandchildren? No, no, forget about the granddads, your grandparents. You guys have lost your minds. You've lost all, <laughs> all sense of re reality of what's going on around. Your, your grandkids are angels. They do no wrong. It's amazing. But us parents, we see things as they really are, and our children are flat out selfish, and we didn't teach them to do it. What's their favorite word? Ready, ready? Mine. That's mine. Who taught them that? You know, they're fighting with their brother and sister. Mine, mine, mine. Everything's mine. Selfish. Right? Remember Finding Nemo? Little birds? Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> it's natural to be selfish. Listen to what Paul said. He said, in the end times, there's going to be some difficulty. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Why? For people will love only themselves. A little bit louder? Themselves and their money. That's what's going to happen. Like the, our, our, as Jesus, we get closer to the time when Jesus returns, people are going to be becoming more and more selfish. It's natural to be selfish. In my house, there's a lot of selfishness. My wife will come home from the grocery store and she'll have like five boxes of Cheerios and, you know, a bunch of other stuff and she'll, we'll put it all away. Two days later, her Cheerios are gone. My kids are like termites. They just, they just... And I'll say, hey, where's the, where's the Cheerios? Who, how many bowls a day are you guys eating? It's like, I'm dad. All, all I want to do, listen, I don't, I don't ask for much. I, I, really, I, don't, I really don't. I just want a bowl of Cheerios around 10 o'clock at night. Can I have that? Can I just, can I have a bowl of Cheerios? That's all I want. I don't ask for much. Ask my wife, right? Do I ask for much? Just want some Cheerios. So now when she comes home, here's what we got to do. We, gotta say, we go to Aldi. I don't know if you guys go to Aldi. These are like fake Cheerios, but they're $1.50. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so she'll come home. She'll come home and, 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 and you know, now she, she'll grab a box and, and she'll, put, she'll put my name on it. It's real simple. <laughs> D-A-D. Don't, don't touch my Cheerios. This is not a prop. This is, this is like from my house, Okay. They're mine, they're mine. Don't touch, get your filthy little hands off my Cheerios. Man, it's natural to be selfish, right? It is, I, I'm, I, I'm that way, you're that way. I mean, it's just, we gotta work against that. We gotta work against selfishness. The second reason it's tough to be generous is because we, we misunderstand the purpose of money. We're mistaken about the purpose of money. Dave Ramsey and many other people have taught that it's absolutely essential for you to take a portion of your income and save it for the future. Whether that's in stocks and bonds or the, or, 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 uh, the, you know, the stock market, 403Bs, 401Ks, uh, real estate, whatever. And I agree 100% with that. My wife and I do that. But that's not the only purpose of money. It's to secure your future and your retirement. So much so that you're doing so much investing or so much taking care of yourself that you have nothing left to share with others. We're mistaken about the purpose. We cannot look to money for what only God can do. Listen, even if you're saving for the future, that could be gone. We could suffer a stock market you know, crash again or, or real estate could plunge and you could lose it all. Do not put your hope in wealth. Do not look to money for what only God can give you. That is security. We're mistaken about the purpose of money. We believe lies. Number three, we believe lies about money. Two in particular, that it'll make us happy and that it'll make us significant. We've got to break that. We've got to talk about that today. 
And then number four, the reason that we struggle to be generous is because we're so short-sighted. We just think about this life right here, this, this 70 years, 75, 80 if we're lucky. Many of us don't even get that. We're so short-sighted. Our eyes and hopes are on this life, and we have to begin to think long-term. These are obstacles. The title of my talk today is Obstacles to Generosity. So let's talk about these things. I want to coach you through these things, these, these hindrances, these obstacles. Number one, we're selfish. How do we overcome that? It's real simple for me. God cares about everybody. God cares about everybody. There's 7.7 billion human beings on this planet last time I checked. There's no way it can be about me. Remember Purpose Driven Life? Rick Warren, great book. How many of you own a copy of that? It's like the best-selling book other than the Bible like in the history of books, I think. <laughs> First sentence in the book, page one, chapter one. Anybody remember what it is? It's not about you. How does a book like that become a bestseller? <laughs> it's not about you. God cares about everybody. Does he care about you? Yes, he cares about you. Does he want you to have food and clothing and shelter and life insurance and enough money to retire? Yes, he cares about all that stuff. But he also has his eye on your neighbor. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Corinthians in Corinth. You have to know that the New Testament is mostly made up of letters written to specific groups of people in specific churches. So Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Corinth. They had committed already to be generous towards another group of Christians in Jerusalem who were very, very poor. And so Paul is writing to remind them and to motivate them to do what they already said they would do, to be generous, to give to these other group of Christians. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God will generously provide all that you need. Don't, don't worry about giving. God will, God will replace it. We're going to talk about that in this series. And notice he says, need and not want. We got that confused as Americans, don't we? Anybody willing to be honest about that? Needs and wants. God never said, I'll give you everything you want. But he did say, I'll give you everything that you, say it with me, need. God will give you, he'll provide for you everything you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to do what with? Share with others. God cares about everyone. His eye is on you and he loves you and he wants to care for you. And then he says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to bless others. I'm going to resource you. I'm going to generously provide for you so that you could be a blessing to other people. It's, it's, it's not about you. I love what Randy Alcorn said in his little book, Treasure, The Treasure Principle. Fantastic little read. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. In America, we think every time we get a raise, it's time for me, for me to buy more stuff, nicer stuff, bigger stuff, more stuff. Maybe God gave you a raise Maybe God prospered you, not for you, but so that you could be a blessing to others. This just helps me to remember there's so many people that have needs. God wants to use me and you to bless them. It's not about you only. Number two, what's the purpose of money? Is the purpose for money just to secure our future and our retirement? No. That's a purpose, but it's not the only purpose. Listen, the, the purpose of money is to be an instrument of blessing. That's why God puts money in your hands. God gives us cash to first take care of ourselves. 
and then to be a blessing to other people. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11 of the same letter. Verse 8, we just read verse 8. Look at verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. God will, God will take care of you so that you can always be, say with me, generous. In every situation, there's to be a little bit that you take out for other people. Why? Because it's not all for you. Does God want you to, to live? And does he want you to have life insurance? And does he want you to save for your kid's college? And he, does he want you to save for retirement? Does he want you to have food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. 90%. Awesome. Take care of all that stuff. Leave me 10%. In other words, you are a steward. A steward is someone that manages the assets of the owner. That's what a steward is. We're not the owners of the money. God owns all the money. He puts it in our accounts. He puts it in our hands. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. Take care of yourself and then bless others. We have 79% of our families here saying, nope, it's all mine. It's all mine. How do we know? Because we have a record of it. That's how we know. We need to change that. Listen, I'm coaching you here today. Take a portion of it and give it back to the Lord. I, I, I was taught this many years ago by our founding pastor. And he just looked me in the eye one day. He said, hey, I want, I want to teach you about tithing. You're a steward. And God wants you to return 10% to the church. I was a young Christian. I said, okay. So that was like, I don't know, 16 years ago, 17 years ago, whatever it was. And so ever since then, my wife and I, every time we got paid, we get paid every other week here at the church. Without fail, we do it automatically. It just comes right out of our account. We give back 10% to the church so that we can bless people in Nicaragua, Haiti, so we can bless people downtown Indianapolis, so we can launch campuses, so we can do this. Every, without fail, over the last 16, 17, 18 years, whatever, however long I've been on staff here, we have given 10%. I'm not asking you to do something that our family has not been doing. Our staff, our elders have gone first. Our elders here at the church, they're some of the most generous people, if not the most generous people at Emmanuel. They give back to the church. Your leaders go first. Amen? Amen? You're a steward. Money is an instrument to bless other people. Let's talk about this third one. Money will make you happy and it will make you significant. No, it won't. Your money will not make you happy and it will not, not make you significant. This little test has been run time and time again. I mean, let's look at King Solomon, for example. King Solomon, perhaps one of the richest people to ever walk this planet. He was the king of Israel many, many, many years ago. And uh, he was so rich, he ate off gold plates, gold spoons, gold forks. Some people estimate his net worth years ago to be $2 trillion. People would bring him gold from all over the place. He was extraordinarily wealthy. Listen to what he had to say about money. Those who love money will never have enough. It's always one more level. How meaningless it is. How meaningless it is to think that wealth will bring you true happiness. There's a guy that ran the experiment. He had it all. I love what Jim Carrey said. He said, I wish everybody could be rich and famous so that they would know that that's not the answer. Jim Carrey, look it up. He said that. He's got everything he ever wanted. All the money he could ever have. All the fame he could ever have. He says, that's not the answer. What about John D. Rockefeller? Perhaps the most richest person in America. Arguably the richest person. In his day, 1918, his net worth was about $1.4 billion. In today's money, it would be in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Listen to what John D. Rockefeller said. He said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me how much happiness? Zero. No happiness whatsoever. Money will not make you happy. We cannot look to, to money to do what only God can do for us. Only God can make us happy. 
in our souls. And money, it promises a lot, but it never delivers. Jesus said one time, you cannot serve both God and money at the same time. It won't, it won't make you significant either. And this is a tough one. Because in our culture, we treat people who are very, very wealthy and have a lot of wealth and a lot of material possessions, we treat them differently. We do. We, we, we follow them on, on Instagram and, the, you, know, they, you know, they get preferential treatment and they don't have to wait in lines. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's, that's the system that we live in. But is that the kingdom of God? Is that the value? Are those the, are those the values of the kingdom of God? Is that how God sees people of wealth? Listen to what Jesus said one time. Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed or covetousness or desire for wealth or more. Why? Why should I guard against that? Well, it's a value of the world that the more you have, the more important you are, the more significant you are. Jesus says this, life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. You are not what you own. Your value is not determined by your net worth. Your value is determined by who you are as a person. See, you and I are going to spend far more time in the next life than in this life. Far more time. Eternity. It's a very, very, very long time. There's only one person's perspective that's going to matter in eternity. Whose perspective is that? It's God's. And how does he determine one's value? How does he determine one's significance? It's not by what you have here on earth. It's not the amount of money in your accounts or how much stuff you have. It's your character. Jesus said it like this one time. Please hear these words. I hope, you, I hope you can write this down. He said it like this. The first will be last and the last will be first. What does that mean? Some of you, for some of you, you will be the boss in heaven. You're not the boss right now. You're not in charge right now. You're not treated with respect right now. Because that's not how our world works. But one day, your boss will work for you. Amen to that? Anybody? The first will be last, and the last will be first. If, if, if you decide to be a generous person with what you have on this earth. Your significance doesn't come from what you own. It comes from who you are. Please don't forget that. And when you realize that, you can begin to release resources from your hands. Let's talk about this last one, short-term thinking. Short-term We're so caught up in this life. Here's how we overcome that obstacle. We have to think long-term. We've got to think about eternity. Dallas Willard said one, something one time I'll never forget it. He said, you are a never-ceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. Let me say it again. You are a never-ceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. Please think long-term. You will live forever. If you're a Christ follower, you're going to live in heaven forever, which is awesome. But either way, you're going to live forever. So begin planning for that. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, but we are, we are citizens not of earth, but of heaven where the Lord Jesus lives. Like we're citizens of America, uh, of America right now, most of us. But that's not, that's not our real citizenship. Our home is really heaven. So do you remember when Paul said, command those who are rich to be, good, you know, to, to be rich in good deeds and generous and be willing to share? 1 Timothy chapter 6, right? Verse 18. Why? Why? What, what's the motivation? Listen to verse 19. Watch this. By doing this, by being generous, by sharing with others, they'll be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the what? For the future. The future Where? Where? On earth? No, not the future on earth, but the future in heaven. 
That's where real life will be experienced. Where did, where did Paul get this teaching from? To store up treasures in heaven. He got it from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. But store up for yourselves treasure in, say it with me, heaven. Where moths and vermin, ooh, I like that word vermin. It makes me think of maggots. Mm, gross. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Jesus, what were you thinking about when you, th- when you created maggots? Just a thought. Flies and maggots. Anyway, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Think long term. Do you know it's possible for you to end up very, very wealthy in the next life? How? Well, here's what Jesus says. Take the resources that you have now. The resources, I don't, I'm not talking about the, the, the amount. I'm just talking the, the, the actual resources that you have in your hands today and just take a portion of it and bless others and bless others and bless others and be generous. And in doing so, you're paying it forward. You're making an investment that will pay you eternal dividends for the rest of your life. Wow. I love what John Wesley said, the founder of the Methodist movement. I hope you'll get this. I judge all things by the price they shall gain me in eternity. I judge every decision, every purchase, every time I give out money. Every t- I judge all things by the value they shall gain me in eternity. What was he, what was he saying? I, I'm, I'm an eternal being. I'm a never-ceasing spiritual being with, with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And what I do here on earth with the cash in my hand will determine the quality of my life in the future. Pay it forward. Think long term. Is this making sense? And when you can begin to think long-term, you can become generous. Life is bigger than this life. You'll spend far more time in the next life than you will in this one. Pay it forward. Store up treasures in heaven. So let me ask you a question. What or when are you living for? I could have said who. Are you living for yourself? Are you selfish? Is it more for me and greed and I need and my future and this and that? Or are you living for others? When are you living for? Are you living for this life only or for the next? Oh, I would plead for you to to live for others. Paul said this, I've run my race, I've finished my course, I'm done with my life, I've poured out my life as an offering. Oh my gosh, if we could just think about our lives that way. Our lives are meant to bless others. Somebody needs a van? They can't convert it. Insurance only covered $50,000. It costs $30,000 to, 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 to convert it. You hear about that? And because you're not selfish and because you've already separated 10%, by the way, it's the first 10%, you say, man, let's, let's give. The church is wanting to do that. Let's give. Let's bless. Live for others. What and when are you living for? Now, what I've done is I've asked the ushers to kind of hang out and receive the offering at the end and And here's why I've asked them to do that. We usually take the offering before, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond and say, you know what, I'm going to jump in. How do you jump in? Well, there's two ways you can jump in. You can jump in on what's called the $10 challenge. What's the $10 challenge? Well, I talked about this last year and many families jumped in and our offering went up 16.5% year over year because many families jumped in on the 10% challenge, the $10 challenge. It's the price of a burrito. And so what you would do is you would go to our, go to, go to your app, go to your uh, texting and you'd text the word give to 65248. And this is what will happen if I can find it. Text the word give to 65248. I think that's on our screen here. They'll send you a link. You click on that link. It takes you to push pay. It's already set up for $10. We, we preset it up. 
for you. You work your way down, make it a reoccurring gift so that it comes out every week or every other week. You follow the prompts and you're in on the $10 challenge. If, if the 79% of our church just simply did the $10 challenge, we could triple our impact in the world. Some of you did the $10 challenge last time. It's time for you to go here and hit that button right there. Right there, okay, right there. <laughs> and make it $20 a week. Because you did the $10 a week last week and God's blessed you and now you're making more and you know, all of a sudden you need to adjust it and give proportionally to God's blessing in your life. Some of you are like, man, $20 a week, that's great, $10, I know, great. but you're making $150,000, 175000 dollars $250,000 a year. You need a different challenge. You need a different, you don't need a $10 challenge. You don't need a burrito challenge. You need to obey the tithe. Whatever he's put in your hand, whatever the amount is. Listen, if you don't give when you're making 100, if you don't give 10% when you're making 100, you won't tithe when you're making a million. Everybody says that, well, I'll do 10% when I'm making a million. No, you won't. Because you didn't give 10% when you were making, you know, 750 an hour Chick-fil-A. So you need the tithe challenge. You need the percent challenge. And if you've been doing the percent challenge, 10%, you need to go to 11. Because why? Because, because that's generous. So for some of you, it's a $10 challenge. For some of you, it's a percent challenge. God loves a cheerful giver. If you feel it all right now, like, man, dude, he's putting pressure on me. I don't wanna do this, but I'm, I'm feeling kind of guilty. Don't give. I want you to be like, dude, I'm in on this deal. Where's that bucket? Pass that, pass that bucket to me. Give me that thing, I'll put some cash. I want you to be excited about this deal. I want you to say, I wanna be a part of a church that's killing it. I wanna be able to say, I've got skin in the game. I want you to be clapping, somebody's clapping. I want you to be excited. Is anybody excited about this? Man, this is an opportunity. So I'm gonna pray for all of us right now that, that our hearts would be in a position of joy and thankfulness and gratitude and opportunity and excitement and that you give from that heart. Bible says he, God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray. Father, as the team comes down, as the ushering teams come down at all of our campuses, prepare our hearts to be generous. Not one time, it, it's not gonna matter one time, but to be consistently, to be, for it to be a lifestyle that we would set apart weekly or bi-weekly a portion of our income to give back, to bless others, to invest in our future, to help those who are in need, to get the gospel out to as many people as possible. Move on our hearts to be generous. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Now, Pastor Danny a while ago said that if you're new here, you were kind of off the hook this week. That's kind of true. Because I'm gonna talk to you guys for just a second. And I love the examples that you gave, Pastor Danny, when you were talking about what generosity can look like in your community because it can look like giving khakis to kids so that they have clothes to wear for school. It can look like that. It can look like building a library for children in a school that don't have any books to read. Dang on it, man. But I think it can also look like the holy God that we serve 
being so generous that he allowed his son to die for each and every single one of us. I think that's the ultimate example of, of generosity. And I think, I thought I was gonna be able to get through this one. I think uh, the way of it hits you sometimes when you think about what Jesus Christ went through, the sacrifice and the way he was generous. He was, man, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was mocked, he was, he was embarrassed. He gave everything he had, he gave his life. So that each and every single one of us could have a relationship with a holy God. Man, like that, that's the ultimate example of generosity and we can never forget that. And if you're new here, you need to know that. Somebody has got to tell you that. And maybe that's me today. And you may not know what to do with it. You may not know what to do with the fact that not only did he die, but he rose again three days later, conquering the penalty of sin and death. You may not know what to do with that. And maybe for you, you'll leave that gift, you'll leave that generosity in the kitchen table in your heart and you'll just think about it. And that might be all you need to do today. But for some of you, you might accept that gift. And here's the way that you do that. You go to him, you go to Jesus and you say, man, I accept your generosity. I accept this. Please forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my mistakes and just show me how to walk with you every day for the rest of my life. Show me how to do that. And you pray right to him. So I'll lead you in a prayer right now. You follow my words, you make them your own. You pray right to Jesus. And if you are somebody who's already prayed this prayer and you've already accepted this generosity, I don't care if you're part of the 21% or the 79, right now that doesn't matter. It will when you leave. But right now you can be generous and you can pray for your brother or your sister next to you. So let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful. I am broken. I have sinned, I have made mistakes. Jesus, I'm just asking for your forgiveness. I accept your perfect sacrifice. I accept the fact that you rose three days later covering the penalty of sin and death. I accept this, I believe this. And Jesus, I am just so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the resurrection. I ask that you help me to walk beside you every day for the rest of my life. Jesus, I'm so thankful for your generosity. It's in your name we humbly pray, amen. All right. Now, they are getting it cracking up in heaven for you right now if you just pray this prayer. So we wanna celebrate with you. Can we celebrate for these people? All right, so if you just prayed this prayer, we are so excited for you. If you prayed this prayer online, let us know in the comments. We will put one of these gifts in your hand. This is our generosity to you. If you're here with one of our physical campuses, go to the back of the auditorium. We will put a new Believer's New Testament in your hands so you can dive into the Word of God, figure out what He's all about, and figure out how you can align your ways with His. Can we give it up for God one more time for what He's doing?